Come out of that grave. Come out of that grave. We're going to play that song today, but for, for those of you that, that, that maybe have to leave, you should play that song on your way home or when you get home. It's called Come Out of That Grave. Bethel Worship with Brandon Lake. It's okay. I thought she was about to jab somebody in the temple or something by that reaction. My goodness. Did you take that clock down for a reason? No. Okay. There we go. Now somebody can sit there. I didn't want to put it back up if you didn't want it to be there. So sweet you. Glory to God. What do y'all want to talk about? As it pertains to the resurrection. You can actually talk about whatever you like. I'm gonna hammer the resurrection in there, so Does everybody know why we believe on Jesus? It's okay if you don't. It's not a, it's not a trick question. And there's no shame if, if you don't know why we believe on Jesus. And if you don't think you can put words to it, that doesn't mean you don't know. Right? Many times you can know something in your heart, but trying to put words to it might escape you. Because there's actually so many things you could say when you say why we believe on Jesus. Right? You could run all over the place. Um, but I guess I'm... I'm talking about the the root of what why we believe on Jesus, right? Um, it's not a tradition. It's not because we were born in America, and America's a, a quote unquote Christian culture. Because there's a whole lot of, of the Christian culture that is not actually believing on Jesus. It's not uh, because our parents told us that's what we should believe. That's not why we believe on Jesus. And maybe our parents didn't understand how to tell us why we believe on Jesus. But this is why we believe on Jesus. Because we see the faith that was in his heart while he was on the cross overcame the death of the cross and raised him into an incorruptible life. Right? The faith that was in his heart overcame the death in the world that we all freaking hate. That we despise. That we've all been tormented by that we've all been smashed by, that we've all been beaten over the head by in one form or fashion or another, we've seen that the faith that was in his heart overcame that and didn't just overcome it and start him over again where he can try and navigate the world real well to avoid the death again, but the faith that was in his heart overcame the worst kind of death anybody could experience in this world, the full manifestation of the death that's in this world that has come against all of us, the faith that was in his heart raised his life up out of that and raised him into an incorruptible life never to be able to die again. And that's what we all want. I don't know if you realize it, but that's what you want for your life. Many times children don't know what they want. Kids don't know what they don't know what they need. They just know that they want. Because they feel it. Right? And so what we want, what we need is for our life to be cared for in a way where it could overcome all the things we see crooked in this world and it could be raised up to where it could never be made crooked again. That's what we all want. Well, we see that in Jesus was the faith that can produce that. And he didn't just come talking about it. He didn't just come telling us like it was a theory. He didn't come and say like Buddha, if you sit around and meditate on peace long enough, you'll be at peace. Listen, anybody can go sit by the ocean where nothing's going on and sit there and say, hmm, and feel peace. The water will make you feel peace. But the way you put a faith to the test is you take a guy and nail him to a cross and find out if he has peace. I promise you, Buddha's much meditation ain't giving him peace when he's nailed to a tree. Right? And so that's why we're believing on Jesus. Because we see this guy came talking about a life that we all want. And he didn't just talk about it. He demonstrated where that life was found. And he took upon himself the most miserable kind of death there could ever be to prove it to the uttermost that this faith could serve you and care for your life the way you want your life to be cared for. Right? That's why we believe on Jesus. That's why we begin walking with Jesus. 
And from there, that life that overcame even the grave, because it's not just talking about a tombstone and a physical grave. There is the fruit of the grave that's in this world. right? From there, we can start seeing all the different ways Jesus has set us free from our grave clothes. Because the Father come to clothe us in an incorruptible life. Well, you know what the world's tried to clothe you in? Grave clothes. And it's come to each one of us and tried to clothe upon us with grave clothes. Right? And Jesus demonstrated the faith that will call you forth out of those grave clothes. Just like Jesus said, when he come upon Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. And so we see in Jesus the faith that calls us forth out of the grave clothes, that sets us free from all of the thoughts, the conclusions from the carnal mind that have been born from the death we've encountered, that have been born from the death, the lack we've encountered. That's why we're believing on Jesus. There's a very real reason why we're believing on Jesus. We ain't believing on Jesus because the Catholic Church told us to. I'm not even so sure they told us to believe on Jesus. It was more like believe on Mary. And Mary will talk to Jesus. Right? We're not despising Catholic people. Right? How shall they hear if a preacher isn't sent to them? Right? They, they've just sat under what they've heard. Right? And so that's why we're believing on Jesus, guys. And that's why we're not believing on anything else. I remember when I was debating with the, the Buddhist monks in Colorado. And we were talking. I, I told them, I said, you guys don't understand. I'm after a life that can't be touched by death. I'm after the kind of life that can serve me peace if I'm being nailed to a cross. I'm after the kind of life that will not let me float off into the air and be vaporized as Casper the ghost. I'm after the kind of life that will even raise me up in a body, a physical body, that can never be touched by death or weakness again. That's what I'm after. That's why I'm believing on Jesus. Because I see in Him is a faith that produces all that. I said, I don't see that Buddha's faith can produce any of those things I'm after. So, with all due respect, I'm sure Buddha's a lovely man. Okay? But... Unless Buddha can serve me those things, all your explanations, all your teachings, all your doctrines, they're empty to me. That actually stopped the conversation. Because they realized in Buddha was not something that could serve me with all that. And so they realized it was fruitless for them to keep trying to convince me of Buddha. That's why we're believing on Jesus. Right? Guys, we need a certain kind of care for our lives. Like, we want our lives to be cared for. We want them to be nurtured. We want them to be comforted. We want them to be uh, rocked, right, into a state of relaxation. You know, when a baby's crying, what do you do? Rock a bye, baby. <laughs> Why do you rock a bye, that baby? Because you're trying to lull the baby into a state of rest, a state of relaxation, a state of peace. Listen. That's what we, that's the kind of care we all want for our life. And we see in Jesus that which can care for our lives in that way. That's why we're believing on Jesus. I would say, I would say in response to your question that, you know, when I, back in 93, started to believe on Jesus, I put that in quotations because back then I wouldn't even use the, what I call the J word. <laughs> I didn't want to use the J word. But if you talked about Jesus, what are you, a born-again, glassy-eyed Christian? I mean, that was my mentality. I even called my friends that, you know, you're brainwashed. You're brainwashed. You're like uh, those people on the Star Trek episode where they're all controlled by Landrew, the computer. And you walk around saying, long live Landrew. As I say, he's risen, he's risen indeed. That was my mindset. But the gospel was like medicine that when I took it, it made me feel better. And I didn't know how it made me feel better. But damn, I feel better. How is it that I feel better? I'm not afraid anymore. It's the only thing that could remove fear in my life. Nothing else I tried to remove fear in my life. This medicine must be good because I don't feel that fear anymore. It must be working. There must be something to this. Then years later you realize what the medicine's made of. 
you realize how you've received it, you realize how it works in your heart to bring about a belief by the planting of the seed, and you realize that none of that happened by your doing, and in retrospect, you have an understanding of what was happening, but if you had asked me back then, well, why do you, what do you, why do you believe? I said, man, I don't know why I believe. I just believe, because I know I feel better, because I'm not in fear anymore. What are you not in fear of? I'm not in fear of being alone. I'm not in fear of failing. I'm not in fear of being rejected. Is everything great in your life? Hell no, not everything's great in my life. I'm divorced with two kids. I'm trying to make ends meet. But I'm not afraid. And that medicine that I took did something to me. So I'm going to keep taking that medicine. Because I knew this other stuff I took, that made me feel worse. That made my symptoms worse than before. <laughs> So now I can use words like, oh, well, that was the fruit of the flesh. You don't know that terminology. Then when you hear fruit of the flesh, what does that mean to a person who has never been exposed to the vocabulary out of the, out of the Bible? That's like uh, someone said to me, uh, this guy got right up in my face. He says, oh, so you're a new creation. I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? First of all, you're invading my personal space. <laughs> but he was up in my, I remember it was at a bowling alley. I remember the guy's name, too. And he was all glassy-eyed, looking at me, all happy. And he had heard that I had been, quote, saved, which I didn't know what that meant either. And he said, uh, yeah, you're a new creation in Christ. And I'm like, okay, you say so. But I knew that medicine was working. And I uh, started listening. And as I was listening, I was start to, I, I stopped talking and I started listening because I realized that I didn't have all the answers and maybe what I was listening to could help fill in those blanks. And so uh, it's tempting to want to give a doctrinal response to why I believe. Let's see, what are the three points I believe in? Oh yeah, one, two, three. That's why I believe. But when you the more you get exposed to the truth, the more you realize it is all about the power of a man overcoming death in the flesh. And, the, and it's almost like the subliminal effect that it has on your heart. Mm. It's like, I don't understand all of it. I can't even you know, necessarily put it into sentences, as you say. But I know because of being exposed to that historical fact that I'm growing in my understanding of why that is good for me. And if you approach somebody with simple, rote, religious doctrine, there's no power in that. Well, I'll take that back. Good. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's no power in that. I would just say it's you're speaking more. You could be speaking more from the head than the heart. The mind wants to uh, be able to defend a belief system, and the heart isn't tempted with that. The heart feels comfortable with the saying, like a little kid, "I don't know. I just know." Yeah. Very beautifully put. Thank you. Anyone else? For me. Up since coming here and everything, believing on Jesus just means believing what he believed. Yeah. And just believing that I have a father that's going to take care of me. And that's it. That is eternal life, as Jesus says in John 17. Mm -hmm. That you know the one true God. That you see the one guy that can actually give your life the care you desire. Right? And that, that produces eternal life. Mm -hmm. Here, now, and forevermore, right? The, eternity is in our hearts. So our hearts will only ever go to rest in someone being our father if we see that that person possesses the ability to serve us with a life that is unto everlasting. There's a reason why it says that Jesus, the birth of Jesus is everlasting father. It's because in him, is a life that is unto everlasting. And the only thing that will actually put our hearts to rest in someone else's ability to care for our life because we have eternity in there, we have everlasting in there, is if somebody can come and show us that they have the ability to serve us with a life that is unto everlasting. 
And so that's why Jesus talks about glorify me, that it will glorify you. Care for my life. I'm a human being. These guys are all human beings. They all have eternity in their hearts. Their life is suffering at the hands of death. They need their lives to be cared for. They need someone that can serve them with the kind of care they need where their life can be raised up unto everlasting. Glorify me. Serve me with the life that is an unto everlasting. And they will see that you possess the ability to care for their life in the exact way that they need. And they'll begin to know you as Father. They will call you Father. Which is what the Scripture says, right? Call upon the name of the Lord. Which means that you see God come to surname you. You mean That means you see God come to care for your life in the exact way that you need. Which you need a life that is unto everlasting. And you see He has a life that is unto everlasting. That's why we call Him Everlasting Father. And you start to know God as Father. And that is unto eternal life manifesting in you. And the power of the Gospel is contained in the Spirit. Right? It's not contained in whether you come with an explanation or don't come with an explanation. It's not contained in the same way that we say it doesn't require a doctrine. Well, the other side of that coin is a doctrine can't get in the way. It's not that declaring the truth is now a problem if you're declaring it to a person who doesn't understand. We're discounting what's going on there. It's the condition of a heart. And it's the Spirit that is ministering to the condition of the heart. So you could be spitting the Spirit, and if that person's heart is desiring life, I promise you, whether their ears or head understand your doctrine, if their heart cries out for life, well, bam! Right? It don't matter if they don't understand your new creation language. It don't matter if they don't understand what you talk about death being overcome in the flesh. If their heart is already crying out for life, and you come speaking the Spirit of life, whether it be doctrinal or not, well, boom! I remember clearly being stopped in my tracks by the words written in concrete on the sidewalk, trust Jesus. Mm. I looked at that and it grabbed me. And I don't know why, I do not know. To your point, just seeing those words written in concrete, I was walking across uh, downtown Poetry Street and I saw that and it just, to this day, I'll never forget it. It really impacted me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, the problem, one of the problems is we, we don't know what ails us. <laughs> like if you knew what ailed us, you knew what kind of medicine to take. Well, what ails us you know, now is death. I, I, yes, as a human being you realize, I don't want to die, but you don't know that everything that is really hurting you in this world is a result of death. Yeah. Uh, it's the fruit of death. I didn't realize until, I didn't realize until about 10 years ago that God even cared about my feelings. I didn't. Even, I, I had no concept of God even caring about whether how I felt. To your point, I remember when I became a born again Christian, and they said, "Don't don't trust your feelings." So I think you automatic for me. I automatically went, "Well, God has no feelings for me. If He doesn't care, you know, you can't count that." It's a poor way of expressing something that yes. can be true that leaves you in a place of disconnect with God, right? Yes. right? What, what, what they're really trying to say is don't judge your life or judge God by the death you see or the weakness you feel. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have feelings or that your feelings are evil or that God doesn't feel. Or that God doesn't cry with you, right? I tell this story all the time, man, but there, there was a, a Lutheran, I think, I think it was a Lutheran priest that... Um, Man, the pastor at a church and was in ministry and one day woke up and decided this is all bogus. And he had a wife and three kids and he left them. He left the church, wrote a resignation letter to the church and he left a, a note to his wife and his kids, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. Sayonara, good luck. He moved off to Vermont and bought one of those real thin trailers and became a logger. And it gets real cold in Vermont in the wintertime when you're logging. And he's in those paper-thin walls of that little trailer. And a snowstorm come through there. And it's like negative 20 degrees outside. And it blew through his window. He was already in there with a little space heater freezing. And then the space heater malfunctioned. And that guy took that space heater and threw it out the window. And said, I hate you, God. I hate you, Jesus. 
I wish I had never met you. And then that guy fell down on the ground weeping. And he says, in that moment, something powerful happened because I didn't just hear myself weeping. I heard God weeping. And in that moment, I knew that he wasn't weeping for me. He was weeping with me. Because he was feeling what I was feeling simultaneously with me. Now, to Thomas's point about doctrine, right? Doctrine isn't evil. Doctrine isn't bad. Doctrine can produce the exact same effect. But God is not at the mercy of having to make a doctrinal statement to reach into your heart. And that, whole, that guy's whole life got transformed just by him hearing God weeping with him. That guy got up, left Vermont, went and reconciled with his wife, went and reconciled with his kids, and went on to pastor the most spirit-filled church in the Pacific Northwest that's still going today. All out of that revelation that God knows. Because the only way you can weep with someone is if you know. It's one thing to pity someone. And that's the kind of idea we have about God. God's God, so he can't know how we feel. So whatever he feels for us, it's more like pity. It isn't compassion. Compassion, you can only feel compassion is if you know what they feel because you're feeling it too. That's compassion. Pity is, yeah, you don't really know what they feel. You got no reference point for that, but you're sad that they feel that way. Right? Well, that's the kind of thing you're talking about, Barb, where they, they meant well, but the way they expressed it was very poor. Yes. And then it made you feel distant from God. Well, this guy that walked away from his family and walked away from the church, that's how he felt, this distant God. But in that moment, he saw how close this God was. In that moment, he saw that this God, that he had been worshiping this whole time not knowing him, that this God knows and feels with him this pain. And that was enough to bring him out of his grave clothes. Live. Right? The resurrection is God saying live. And it ain't him asking you a question. It's him making a declarative statement. Come out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Right? It, that's actually the commandment of God. It's not him commanding you to bring yourself life. It's him calling forth life in you. And that's what the resurrection is. God calling forth life in you. And even in that moment, there was no doctrinal statement. But I promise you, when he heard God weeping with him, that preached the gospel to that guy. Just like you're talking, trust Jesus. I sent my family a text this morning because everyone's away somewhere. I'm in the house alone. Lisa's in Oklahoma City. <clears throat> <There's your Yeah>. why we call her St. Callie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the record, I'm sitting next to my first daughter. So, sorry about that oversight. I was alone in the house when I did this, is what I meant to say. Uh, it, it, it won't be long now until you hear that I'm dead. <laughs> he always mixes in that death. That's how, That's how I start. That's how I start. But when you do, remember this. I'll be alive. Oh. I will live forever because what, of what the Father did through Jesus. And so will you. Happy Easter. Oh, that's good. It's about life and death. And I like what I did. Sure was said a thousand times beforehand, but I didn't really hear it until I heard Jared Thompson say it. God's got a will for you. His will is that you live and not die. I was like, I am. Man, <laughs> what else do you want to hear? <laughs> Thomas, what did that uh, writing on the sidewalk say? I didn't hear what you said. Uh, trust Jesus. Oh, simple. And and whenever I do a construction project, if I've been closing up a wall or, or I'm putting something over a floor. I always write, trust Jesus. Oh, I mean, I've done it probably a hundred times. Oh. So if somebody opens up a wall, they say, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, trust Jesus. <laughs> it's all over the place. I remember back in like the mid-80s, right around the time I came to know the Lord, 
of somebody in like in the ninth ward, and I've, I saw it in other places, would go on these green telephone boxes that, you know, all over the city, I guess they connect the boxes or whatever, and if I try Jesus. And in this particular script, it was just this, uh, like, it looked the same everywhere you saw Try Jesus, you know. And, uh, but it was everywhere. Every, everywhere you'd go, you'd see this green box with Try Jesus on it, you know. And that spoke to me. Mm. I'm going to tell you, it deeply spoke to me. When I saw that, it said something. But it was, it was going around. And as a matter of fact, I think they even did like a news report. Who's doing this? Who's writing Try Jesus all over these boxes? Wouldn't he love to hear your story right there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listen, the, listen the, the Lord, I mean, he can't help but be Father. Whether or not we understand any of that, he's still going to be Father. Right? And so he could meet a heart that has been stung with death, that is just crying out for life, whether they understand how he met it or not. Sure. Right? But that's not to despise the understanding. That's God, still able to be God, even in the poverty of the church's understanding. Mm-hmm. Right? But if God can be God when we don't understand even what we're saying, then how much more so can God be God when we become witnesses of the resurrection? Right? We talk all the time about what it looked like in Acts and why it looked like it did in Acts and why they saw go down what went down. Well, it says they received power from on high when the Holy Ghost was poured out on them. And it says they became witnesses of the resurrection. And so those guys have been walking with Jesus, hearing Jesus talk about all these things, and they didn't understand nothing. And even to them not understanding anything, the Holy Spirit came upon them because they just knew, well, we believe what this guy said, right? And once that Holy Spirit manifested in them, though, they knew exactly what they were witnessing of. It wasn't like, well, what are we witnesses of? No, no, no. We witnesses of the resurrection, right? And it's like the Holy Spirit is moving in the hearts of people, in the hearts of the church, to reestablish that witness where we understand what we're declaring. We understand what people need. I promise you, you can discern into people's hearts and see their suffering when you understand what it is that's causing their suffering. And I promise you, when you demonstrate that you understand what's causing their suffering, they're more apt to look at you and think you got the answer. And the moment you can identify with somebody in their darkness and then you come with the answer, boom! Right? They want to hear you. They want to know. They can see it in your eyes that you know. Why do you think people came to Jesus? Why do you think they come? They saw in his eyes that he cared, that he wasn't indifferent. He wasn't just after a conversion. The problem for the church today is they're after a conversion. They're looking to win a religious war. Do we have more conversions than the Muslims? Do we have more conversions than the Buddhists? We got to take over the world, don't you know? Well, they look in people's eyes that are only after a conversion, and there ain't no compassion. They don't know what the problem is. They just know we need a conversion. You need to be converted. Hey, well, that don't minister to the hurt that's in someone's heart. Now, someone who's already so broken in their heart that they got nothing else but that, they might come along with that, right? But being able to identify with the hurt that every human heart has felt and them seeing, you know, and then you coming with the witness of the resurrection. Listen, listen. Some people, the death they've experienced in their heart has come at the hands of, Rejection, being despised, not being accepted by their loved ones, by the world around them. Well, guess what? There's Jesus, the most despised, rejected human that ever lived. There was more dishonor cast upon him from this world than any human that ever lived. And guess what? There's a life that manifested in him that overcame all that rejection, all that dishonor, all that despising from this world. There's a life in him that raised him up out of that, that caused him to abound over the world, right? And you start talking with somebody and you can see into their heart and you understand intimately the way this world tries to harm people. You can come talking to them with wisdom 
Like you see into their heart, you know it, right? Sometimes people's hearts are already there, right? They're already crying out for life and you just come and they see life in you. I know Thomas has experienced that. You can experience that when you're out on the road evangelizing people that don't really know the Lord, right? There's some people that are so broken and so empty, they'll just see life in you and they can just tell you got something, right? <laughs> please give it to me, please. Right? <laughs> I read this on the, uh, on the internet and I thought it was really good yesterday. <clears throat> Love comes in a person. It's from an uh, Irish pastor. <clears throat> if you were drowning in a river and cried out for someone to save you, and I stood on the bank and shouted instructions on what you needed to do to save yourself, <laughs> would that have been what you wanted to hear? Uh, and what you had in mind when you cried out, save me? Do you need someone to tell you to repent from drowning? Or do you need someone who puts himself between you and what is killing you, who unites his body with yours in order to save you? Jesus never stood on the bank. Mm. Oh, that's feeling. Yeah, that's one of the pastors in Ireland that we'll see if, you know, we all go. Yeah, he wrote a book I'd recommend. It was called uh, The Father... We Never Knew. We Never Knew. <clears throat> There's this... Uh, I don't subscribe to this band. You might not want to listen to this band, but I'm, I've been set free from my religiosity. It's a, a song by a band called Poison. I know we lived through the age where we said they're full of the devil and we got to burn all their stuff because it's satanic. <laughs> and if you play it backwards, it's going to speak yeah, the messages yeah. of the devil. <laughs> but the, one of the songs they sing that I like, because I like acoustical songs, I like poetry, I like things that are poetic. And one of the names of their songs that I liked was called Something to Believe In. And there's a portion in the lyrics of that song where this is how, it, I'm just going to read it. And you can pull the song up on YouTube if you want, and you can hear the song on YouTube. Hello. Sorry. That's all good? You can't interrupt. <laughs> That's like, imagine walking in in the Father's house. You can't interrupt. Right? Come in. Come in. I like your t-shirt, Brandy. Thank you. Thank you. And coffee. We're talking about the poison song, I know. No, everyone will reject me now on YouTube. The name of the song is called Something to Believe In. And this is one of the portion of the lyrics. I drive by the homeless, sleeping on a dark and cold street, like bodies in an open grave. Underneath the broken old neon sign that used to read, Jesus saves. <laughs> a mile away live the rich folk, and I see how they're living it up. While the poor they eat from the hand to mouth, the rich drink from a golden cup, and it just makes me wonder... Why so many lose and so few win? Ah, give me something to believe in. <laughs> and listen. Oh, that was good. He says it, I mean, it's very much more poetic when he sings it, right? <laughs> but it's in, I always thought that was interesting what that guy was saying and what he was observing, right? Even subtly, he, even though you could argue he's, he's thinking like Adam in so many ways, there's still a part of him that has this underneath, underlying understanding of the suffering of humans and that something ain't right and that people need something to believe in that can save them from that. And even mixing it in there that these homeless people are sleep under, sleeping underneath the neon sign that used to read Jesus saves. He talks about how he cries all night and waking up in, with tears. Man, and it's just the, the echo of the human heart is the same. And... As you begin to know that, right, you, not only can you identify with them, and, and that's powerful when they can see you know, but when they see that God knows, and you can then connect them to the, the, the God 
that came. You think God didn't know we were going to nail him to a cross? You think God didn't see we were going to nail him to a cross when he came? When his heart was filled with love and he wanted to save us, you think he didn't know how it was going to end up? Who do you think's coming knowing that's how it's going to end up? Listen, guys, I love all y'all. I really do. There probably ain't a lot I wouldn't do for y'all. And I don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do something in me where I might do that. But listen, if I know you guys are going to nail me to the tree in the backyard, I ain't coming. I don't care how beautiful you are to me. I'm just being honest, guys. Well, lucky for you, I'm not your God. But God knew when he came, what we were going to do to him. He knew how it ended, and it was his good pleasure to come anyway. In fact, nothing could stop him from coming even when he saw that. Do you know why? Because he knew that in us crucifying him to the cross, he would be able to serve us with a life that overcomes death. He knew that in uh, uh, him absorbing all of our death, all of our hatred, all of our gossiping, all of our backbiting, all of our hell, that he would take that hell into his own body. And then he would kick open the gates of hell and come out of the grave in a body where that death had been consumed. And he would have eternal life in his hand to give us. I was thinking this morning, there are so many people at church today will hear that song, Up From the Grave He Arose. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, the, a mighty victory over his foes. Mm-hmm. And I said, there was only ever, I know God said, one foe. It was death. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will go away thinking of all the foes right. of Jesus. <laughs> there was only ever one. Yeah, there was only ever one. It, it's interesting when you read the, the early church fathers and the stuff they wrote about this. And I post it from time to time because I recognize not everybody wants to to read this stuff. I, I also recognize not everybody has the time um, or the luxury that I have to where that's what I do. Um, I, I sit around and, and, and pray. And when I say pray, I don't mean like I chant. I mean like I talk with God about life, about Him. Um, and I get the luxury of, of reading um, some of these people. It, it's pretty profound when you go and read what they said. Um, and I'm just going to read this one. This is a guy called Athanasius. And um, he was part of the Nicene Council when they gathered together to, because a guy named Arian came out, started saying Jesus wasn't God. Started saying Jesus was a created being. That he was just a man. And so all of the bishops and everybody from around gathered to consider this. They ultimately issued a statement calling that heresy. And that's why you read the Nicene Creed, which goes into the Son is the self-same substance as the Father. Because they recognized that that was heresy to say such a thing. right? Well, this is what he says. He, notice what he calls Jesus, the life of all. He, the life of all, our Lord and Savior, did not arrange the manner of his own death lest he should seem to be afraid of some other kind of a death. No, he accepted and bore upon the cross a death inflicted by others, and those others, his special enemies, a death which to them was supremely terrible and by no means to be faced. And he did this in order that, by destroying even that death, he might himself be believed to be the life. And the power of death be recognized as finally annulled. A marvelous and mighty paradox has thus occurred. For the death death which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious monument to death's defeat. What they sought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace actually came forth to be the moment where his ultimate glory and honor could actually be seen. Right? Now, there's so much you could say about that. Why that death looked that way? Because we really needed to see that death could be consumed to the uttermost. Like, we needed to see the worst kind of death we could ever imagine completely consumed to the uttermost 
where there could be none left. That's the only way we could actually believe that in him is life. Because it's not just in him is a good time. In him is a nice twirl and a spin. In him is a nice trolley ride or a boat ride on the water. No, when it says in him is life, it has to mean in him is a life that overcomes all forms of death, that overcomes all forms of rejection, all forms of disgrace, all forms of being despised, all forms of dishonor. Why do we think we care what people think of us? Why does it bother us so much what people think of us? We want a life that's full of honor. Mm. It's only right for us to have a life that's full of honor. And even though we don't know it, guys, you know that we, we're mankind, right? You know what the first man saw? God get down on one knee and honor him. There's something in us that says a good life is a life that's honored. And we're walking around desiring a life that would be honored. The problem is we're looking for it in a life, in a world that doesn't have that kind of life. Even that form of death. We see God come and cared for that desire. Us to have a desire to have a life that's full of honor. Well, that's the kind of life we see in Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, whether they want to or not. Whether they believed on him or not. There ain't nobody going to stand up and, and, and seat themselves above the Christ. Athanasius is the name of that guy. You can go I around. like that guy. Athanasius, man, pretty, pretty smart he, he says some powerful things. If you don't like reading things all the way through, you can just Google Athanasius quotes. And you can just find quotes. In the Bible. Or in, the, in Google. You can yeah. find quotes there if you don't want to read the whole book. But it's powerful what some of these guys said. And when I look at how far removed the, the modern day church is from what the early church was actually believing, it's no wonder. Like Jesus said, uh, how can you be the salt of the earth if you've lost your flavor? <laughs> well, I mean, salt preserves. It's a preservative. We use salt to keep things from decaying. And so the way the church is supposed to be the salt of the earth, they're supposed to be witnesses of the resurrection and how God preserved our lives from the decay that's in the world. That's how you're the salt of the earth. Well, we don't even know what we're believing in anymore or why we're believing in it. So how can we salt the earth? How can we be witnesses of the resurrection? How can we declare that God has poured out of himself a life that preserves from decay? You know what the church calls being a salt of the earth? Throwing salt on an open wound. <laughs> That's what they think, being yeah. a salt of the earth. Is. That's the best way you could have ever said that, Maurice. Yeah. And that is, that'll make you cry. Yeah. yeah. Do they know they feel that way? Or is it just something that they do? <clears throat> they think that is being the salt of the earth. They think that's healing. They, they think, think that's the right way. Healing. They think it's the right way, but it's not the right way. Obviously not. They think it's the right way. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen, man, a person walking around with the hope of, of immortality, they, they carry a scent with them. They have a smell. And they don't just have a smell to people who have that same hope. They also have a smell to the people who are perishing. Yep. Right? And that will do much more to salt, be the salt of the earth, than anything you could do to try and uncover someone's nakedness like the serpent does. Right? That would do much more. They, they already know they're perishing. And then they stand next to you, and you don't have fear in your heart? There's a scent. It's like that movie Michael. I talk about it all the time where he's an angel. John Travolta plays an angel. Right? All the women can smell him and they're like, wow. Right? And they all have a different view of what he smells like. Some form of cookies, though, that are like the greatest cookies you've ever seen. Right? He had a scent. And so they all loved this angel, Michael. 
Well, listen, when you carry the hope of immortality, the certainty of a life that swallows the grave, that conquers the grave, that conquers hell, that conquers Hades, that conquers Sheol, whatever you want to call it, that conquers the bite of the serpent, that conquers the cross, when you carry that in you, it's a, it's a savor. It's a sweet-selling savor to all, all those who have it, but it sticks out like a sore thumb to people who are perishing. Why is this person like that? This is what happened to Paul when he was Saul. Because Stephen was a sweet-selling savor to all of us because we carry the hope of immortality, don't we? Right? We see what came out of Stephen and we're like... <sighs> but to all those guys that were perishing around him, <laughs> Saul being one of them, he smelled something. He didn't smell the rot of dead flesh on Stephen. He smelled something else. Right? And his heart went away pricked. See, Stephen was the salt of the earth in that moment. And the way he salted the earth was declaring the Lord of glory. The way he salted the earth was that his heart was filled with the Son of Man that had overcome the grave. And he knew that this stoning that was about to come to him could not overcome his life. This shame, the, dis the, the most dishonorable thing that could happen to you in a Jewish culture other than being nailed to a cross was to be stoned to death. And so, he, 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 didn't, he didn't care about that dishonor. And it's not because he didn't want to be honored. It's because he saw the Son of Man standing honoring him. How can you receive the honor that comes from God when you seek the honor that comes from men? Jesus says. And there was Stephen, not seeking the honor that comes from man, but seeing that God had honored him by granting him of himself, his eternal life. And that was a smell that carried a scent to all those guys there that were perishing. And Paul walked away thinking, that did not smell like rotten flesh. And then he encounters the Lord Jesus. I like that scripture where Paul says, for we are the aroma of Christ to them which, uh, how does it say? Living. And they're perishing. And to them who are perishing, to one with the aroma of life, and to the other the aroma of death. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that a believer can be the aroma of Christ to people who are out there in the world who don't even know Him, and they smell the correct smell. But you can be the aroma of Christ to people in the church but to you you smell of death because they are viewing their righteousness is coming to them through the works of the law through their own uh, working of righteousness and when you come and you say no that's not the way you smell not good to them and but even that is, is a positive thing because it's testifying that something that you believe in here ain't right. And it, it, it'll cause them to reconsider what they're thinking. It testifies to them that they're dying. That they're dying. And you're not. And you're not. Because you're not afraid of the death they're bringing to you. That's right. And if they are, and they think you should be, that testifies to them that they're dead. Dead men walking. Yeah. And you're alive. <laughs> right? Forevermore. That's the testimony. Yeah, you ever see the movie Dead Man Walking? Yeah. They, that was they, filmed in Slidell. They, they got this little clip from it that I actually used in church one time where uh, she tells, who is the guy? Uh, the guy that played Sean Penn. Sean Penn. She tells Sean Penn, uh, you need to go read your Bible because it says the truth will set you free. So he goes off and he reads the Bible. So they get back together and meet and uh, she says, did you read that Bible I gave you? And he said, yes I did, sister. And you know what I learned? Jesus loved me and he gave him his life for me on the cross. And she looked at him and she said, that's not enough. You have to participate in your own redemption. Mm -hmm. 
And man, when I heard that, that is like, it was not good. <laughs> that was not good. They did a poor job of explaining. <laughs> they did a poor job they of explaining that. that because I don't really think they know God. Um, and Maurice is right. You hear that and they just leave it that way. Uh-huh. And so it really declares the wrong kind of thing. Absolutely. Right? The, the very wrong kind of thing. But what that woman was trying to do the whole movie was get him to admit he killed that girl. Yeah. And he wouldn't. And so she was trying to get him, quote unquote, to confess his sin. Right? Which she didn't realize is he had already confessed it with the, st- the first statement. Yeah. When he read the Bible. Absolutely. Say it again. What did he say? Uh, what? That Jesus died. Jesus died from my sin. He loved me and died from my sins right. on the cross. That was the confession. That was the confession. That was all that was needed. And she didn't recognize no, it. No, she didn't recognize it. Yeah. She was trying to get him to admit what he had done yeah. before he went to the chair. She thought that that was the truth that would set him free. Yes, if he admitted that he killed the woman. That's right. Instead of believing that Jesus died for his sin. That's right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, anybody watching that movie would look at her like Mother Teresa. Whatever she had to say was the no, gospel, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It's powerful imagery, though, yeah. when you Absolutely. see that in their relationship. If you've never seen the movie and you, you know, you, you're not over, I don't want to say overly sensitive, you're not sensitive and that bothers you yeah. because it's like a tearjerker. Now, see, we can give that guy something to believe in. Amen. See, we know what makes all that straight. All that stuff that torments that dude, we know what makes it straight. See, everybody in the world can look at the world and see that this ain't right and that it's crooked. And we've all felt a a kind of a suffering, right? Well, in God's hand is a life that makes all that straight. In God's hand is something that can produce faith in us. And that's what the, the guy is ironically saying all that, that I ought to be able to look at that and it ought to be able to produce belief in me. And I see all of that and that does not produce belief in me, give me something to believe in. Right? You could have a subtitle to that and say, give me someone who believes in me. Yeah. Glory to God. 